Hello everyone, my name is Reese Karlinski and this is Young History, episode 139 on Niger. The capitalist country is Niamey. Now, Niger is named very simply for its location next to the Niger River, and that is kind of different than Nigeria because Nigeria added that suffix at the end to make it kind of like the land of the area near the river Niger. Both kind of have that same origin, but Niger is just a shortened form of that. It was named that by the French, and that's kind of both to honor the location of it and also the fact that the Niger River has been so important to development in this land and many others throughout the history of this region. And some cool facts are that Niger has some of the largest uranium deposits in the world. And then we're going to bounce to some more geographical stuff. Despite being largely desert, Niger has diverse landscapes ranging from the Sahara Desert in the north to the fertile Niger River Basin in the southwest. The country also includes parts of the Sahel, a semi-arid region that spans across Africa and is kind of under the Sahara but above Central Africa. It's very interesting. And two cultural things is that wrestling is Niger's national sport, the annual traditional wrestling event, Lute Tradicionale is a cultural event that attracts competitors from various regions to show their valor and show how well they've mastered this cultural part of their society. And Niger also has the the Guerrero Festival, which is a Fula festival made for finding marriage partners. Face paint and dance are used to attract a bride. And then there's another one, which is the La Cure Sale, which is a Tuareg festival that celebrates the end of rainy seasons. Camel shows occur to exhibit the nomadic history of the Tuareg compared to the other people groups here. And with all that, that gets us to the part where I just want to say I'm going to stop wasting time. Let's get into some history. Let's enjoy this and let's learn about Niger. So thank you guys for being here. And one more time, my name is Reese Karlinski. This is Young History. And this is Niger. You guys enjoy. Origins begin a long time ago, likely around 8,000 BCE, in a culture that lasted until 6,000 BCE. This is the Kiffian culture. They were a prehistoric culture known for their large signature and robust buildings that were believed to use mud, sand, and other things to construct different structures that were able to resist the wet and lush conditions of the region during the time. Evidence suggests that they were hunters and gatherers, with a particular emphasis on fishing, given the presence of the large now extinct lakes in the Sahara. The Tenarian culture emerged around 5000 BC. After a climate shift that led to much drier conditions in the region, the Tenarians were able to adapt to the harsher environment. They are known for having domesticated animals and having more advanced tools and pottery than the Kiffian predecessors. Eventually, there was the Bara culture. The terracotta artifacts are particularly notable for their distinctive styles that have come from the region at this time. These include human and animal figures, as well as objects that are believed to have been used in burial practices. The urns and other artifacts suggest that the Bara had unique funerary practices, and the Bara were one of the first in the area to create distinct relics. The Bara civilization dates back to around the 3rd century to around 11 CE. The Burra civilization dates back to around the 200 CE and then lasted until around 1000 CE. This places it at the Iron Age, a period characterized by the widespread use of iron tools and weapons before further advancements into steel and other things of the sort. The Tuareg people were a Berber people group that established trade routes across North Africa all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. They brought different resources into the area of Niger, and settlements were still rare because of the fact that 
as the Sahara expanded, it became very hard to live in the area. So especially in the northern part of what is Niger today, there was nobody living there. And there honestly is very few living there now because of how hard it is to live in a desert. But areas near the Niger River Basin started to become occupied as time went on. This really started to blow up when around the 700s and 800s, Arab traders started to move into the area. And this created more permanent settlements because there was now a need for trade posts as opposed to just nomadic lifestyle. Now with that, Islam also became introduced to the area and became the sole belief of the land, where today, 99% of the nation is Muslim. The Tuareg kingdom of Takeda was situated in the Sahara, in a region that is now part of northern Niger. Takeda was an important node in the trans-Saharan trade routes. It was particularly known for its salt mines and as a trade center for gold, which was brought from regions further south in West Africa. Think Mali and think Burkina Faso. And then gold would be exchanged for salt, cloth, and other goods from the north and beyond. The Tuareg, known for their distinctive blue clothing and material social culture, were the primary inhabitants and rulers of Takeda. They were renowned as skilled warriors, traders, and navigators of the desert because of their former nomadic society, because of their nomadic history. The Tuareg society was, and still is, divided into various tribes and clans. Around 1449, as the kingdom of Takeda started to decline, the Sultanate of Ayer rose up. It went from a trade post to a large sultanate. It was conquered in 1515 by the Songhai Empire. This lasted until the end of the Songhai in 1591. The Songhai, that had overtaken the Mali Empire in the 1500s, became the most powerful empire in West Africa by the mid-1500s. And at the same time as this, there was the Kanem Bornu Empire. It lasted from 700 to 1700s. The empire was founded around Lake Chad near 700 CE, which means it was more east of the other empires. The peak was under Saifawa dynasty from 1000 to the 1100s. The wealth of the empire was expanded through domination of the trans-Saharan trade routes, and the capital of the empire was moved near modern-day Nigeria, Niger border. A significant figure was Mai Idris Aluma, who was one of the most prominent rulers of this empire. He ruled from 1575 to 1610. Aluma expanded the borders of the empire, expanded trade domination, and helped consolidate the political system. By the end of the 1600s, the empire began to decline as other great powers rose in the region and the leadership started to fall apart after the rule of Aluma. Trade in the west was beginning to be dominated by Europeans because of the Atlantic slave trade and because of a general naval monopoly on the Atlantic, which pushed the Kenamborno Empire to try and dominate the Trans-Saharan trade, but they were completely outpaced by the other great powers in the region. So once this empire fell, the Doso kingdom was established around 1750. It is a Zerma kingdom, the Zerma being one of the major ethnic groups in Niger. The kingdom was established by the Jemakoi Koson, who is considered the founder and first ruler. Situated in the Doso region, the kingdom is near the Niger River, an area that is agriculturally fertile and strategically important to everyone in this region. This location allowed the Doso Kingdom to become the center of commerce and agriculture once other powers fell. The Doso Kingdom, like many traditional West African states, has a hierarchical social structure with a king, known as a Jemakoi, at the top, and then, there is, and then the kingdom itself is divided into chiefdoms. Each chiefdom is governed by a chief who owes allegiance to the Jemakoi. During the scramble for Africa in the late 1800s, the region, including the Doso Kingdom, fell under French colonial rule. But for this to happen, there had to be a lot of work put in before. Emile Gentil led an expedition to follow the Niger River inland in the 1800s. 
Gentile was instrumental in establishing French control over large areas in Central Africa because he negotiated treaties with local leaders and set up administrative posts. His actions led to a move north into Niger, and there was a lot of groundwork for what would become French Equatorial Africa and other greater French African unities. Before the actual consolidation of Niger and all that into a French system, there was the Wallet Chanonoy mission. This was named after the two men who went on this mission, and it is also known as the Central African Mission. It was a notorious military expedition led by French officers Paul Vallette and Julien Chanonoy from 1898 to 1899. Its primary objective was to establish French authority in the Chad Basin. The mission is infamous for its brutality and the atrocities committed by its leaders. Brutal fighting between the French and Nigerians occurred, but the native Nigerians refused to give up the fight. The two men employed harsh measures against local populations, including mass killings, burnings of villages, and widespread destructions and sexual assault. One of the specific moments of brutality during the mission was the massacre at Berni Nkoni. French soldiers were ordered to kill anything that moved in the village of Berni Nkoni to suppress Nigerian resistance. This is one of the worst atrocities in French military history. It was actually French soldiers that were most appalled by this brutality, so they actually ousted and killed their two leaders in 1899. Nonetheless, though, French expanded its influence across the land. France was occupied with wars at the end of the 1800s, so an official colony wasn't established till later on. Despite this, French rule was not fully accepted, and the Kautien Revolt occurred from 1916 to 1917. The revolt was brutal. The revolt was brutally suppressed by the French colonial government, which killed hundreds of Native Africans and burned villages to the ground once again. It was not until after World War I that French Niger was officially established as a colony in 1922. The French encouraged the use of agriculture and spread the use of the French language. Roads and railroads were created, and other advances were made. The healthcare system was boosted, education was, and technology in general was advanced to a more modern era. However, French rule also extracted a lot of resources from Niger, which was rich in gold and uranium. And then we push forward until after World War II, where autonomy was expanded in an effort to end the imperialistic period. There was a referendum to decide how closely Niger would operate to France. Socialist Afrikaans, which was the second largest party at the time, hoped for no vote. In 1958, more autonomy was achieved. And then in 1960, independence was officially declared. Uranium became a major export and was mainly being exported to France. In the post-independence period, the first 14 years were pretty stable, despite being a one-party system. The nation was a civilian government that operated well, but in 1974, there were many droughts that endangered Nigerian lives. Accusations of corruption rose heavily. In 1974, there was the Nigerian coup. It ousted the president. The coup was led by Seni Conche. Then he suspended the constitution. He then ran the nation for 13 years and died in office. Following his death, there was the Nigerian coup of 1987. It was led by military commander Ali Sable, who replaced the deceased Kauche and liberalized the laws of the nation and tried to appease the unions with a new constitution. He allowed new political parties and prepared the nation for a transition in 1991. However, the elections of 1992 were so corrupt that the backlash from them kept the nation at a political standstill for years. Nonetheless, Mahomet Ausame was the president until 1996. In 1996, Colonel Ibrahim Barre Manasara led a coup to overthrow the government. He then won an election to become president, and this is a heavily contested election from the domestic and international community, but nonetheless, it still went on. Major Dauda Malamwake staged a coup in 1999. The coup killed President Manasara. 
Wonka took power, rewrote the Constitution, and drafted a new Constitution for Democratic elections. And somehow, it actually worked. In 1999, a free and fair election occurred, the Constitution was approved, and Mahomet Tanja became president. The Tanja presidency saw some economic growth and development projects in Niger. His government focused heavily on infrastructure improvements and the development of the nation's mining industry, particularly uranium mining, which is significant for Niger's economy. He was re-elected in 2004. He did face criticism for the way he handled the 2005 famine in Niger because there were accusations that his government downplayed the severity of the crisis to protect the country's image, leading to delays in receiving international food aid, which caused a huge increase in deaths. By the end of his second term, he tried to run for a longer presidency in 2009. But, as this occurred, a military coup ousted Tanja. This brought another clean election, and the election saw Isafol Muhammadol become the president. The Isafol election in 2011 was seen as a return to democratic governance after the 2010 military coup. He was re-elected for a second term in 2016. His administration was generally viewed as an attempt to stabilize the country's democratic values and institutions. Under Isafol, Niger experienced some economic growth, primarily due to the increase in foreign investment and mining of oil production. His government implemented the Renaissance Program, which aimed at infrastructure development, improving education, health services, and reducing poverty. One of the major challenges his presidency faced was dealing with the security threats internationally, particularly from the Islamic militant groups in the Sahel region, including Boko Haram, which are affiliates of Al-Qaeda. There's also Al-Qaeda itself and the Islamic State. His government cooperated with Western countries and neighboring African states in the counterterrorism efforts. Isafol's presidency was not without criticism, though. His government faced allegations of authoritarian tendencies, especially dealing with dissent and opposition, where most of it was pushed away or silenced. And there were accusations of political repression, including arrests of journalists and anyone who supported opposition figures. In 2021, Mugamad Bazoum won the 2020 election. In 2021, Mugamud Bazoum won the presidential election. This made him the first democratically elected president to follow a democratically elected president in the history of Niger. In the same year, there was two coups that earned the nation of Guinea, Mali, Niger, and Sudan the moniker of the coup belt. Obviously, this name comes from the fact that these nations have had consistent coups over and over. If you look back at the episode we did on Mali, on Guinea, and the ones we've done South Sudan, not actual Sudan yet, you'll see that it's just the coup culture is insane, how often that power is transitioned through the military juntas or things of that sort. It's it's insane. So it's a very rough nickname to receive, but it is quite accurate. And then bouncing to this year, which is 2023, in July, President Bazoum was detained by a military unit that staged a coup. The leader of it was Colonel Major Amado Abdurrahman, who declared himself the head of state. The reason given was socioeconomic management and the lack of resistance against aggressive militants in the north. The coup's leaders are heavily anti-West and France. This is concerning because France operates heavily on nuclear energy, and that is powered by Nigerian uranium. And that gets us to the present, where Niger consistently ranks as one of the lowest nations on the HDI. The junta in power places Niger in a precarious position. If there is intervention from the West, conflict will occur. But if there is no intervention, it seems that stability is not going to be possible, politically at least for the time being. Niger is trying really hard internally to figure its own stuff out. That's why there's so many coups, is because different people think they will handle the country better, they will do things better than their predecessor and their coworkers and all that. But it doesn't change the fact that the instability is high, and because of that, the level of impoverished 
communities is insane. The super high poverty percentage of the overall nation is high. The underdevelopment of rural areas. There's a lot of issues in Niger that keep the nation down, and that's not even to mention the war on terrorism they have to fight because of how many jihadists and you know Islamic State, Al-Qaeda, all those being present make it very hard for Niger to really get anything done when they have to dodge bombs on their way to their coup. So it's just a whole lot going on, but with that, I always like to... And as we get to the end of the history with Niger, which in the present tense, the nation is just so deeply in struggle. There's so much going on. There's widespread poverty because of the instability in the government. There's instability in safety because of the different terrorist organizations that consistently attack the country. All of this manifests into the kind of takeaway I want to say with Niger's history, which is for right now, adapt to survive. I don't say that lightly because... It's a very aggressive thing to say, and it sounds kind of foo-foo, especially very easy for me to say in a safe room thousands of miles away. But these people are consistently fighting, consistently surviving attacks, coups, instability, sanctions from other parts of the world, issues, issues, issues. You know how many corporations of France own uranium mines in Niger, so they don't even have access to their own resources. There's just so many things that can be said about what's wrong with the nation at this time. But despite this, the people are still pushing forward. Niger seems to be kind of embodying that same resistant energy that Mali and Burkina Faso both have, which are this anti-West, very nationalist, very internalized power. Now, of course, that can be very dangerous because we all know what nationalistic pride can do to a nation and its leaders. But nonetheless, these people are pushing forward. They believe that if they're able to have the right person in power, they will take back the the resources of their nation. They'll take back anything they can. They'll take back whatever it is that will keep them stable. They'll take back stability and the systems and the government. And they're all trying very hard. So they are adapting. They're consistently adapting to what's happening around them, the wars around them, the attacks around them. They're going on through all this as best they can. Doesn't mean it's not hard. So it is an adapt for the sake of surviving because especially in this case where it is a very real, real world struggle that leads to poverty and war on the bad side and maybe liberation on the other side, it's going to take a lot of risk. And people are literally adapting for the sake of surviving their current life setting. I say you should take that from looking at this history and try and apply that to somewhere in your life if you're trying to, which is adapt. There's going to be breakups, change of scenarios, the odds of the average person getting something terrible like a disease or into a car accident or something are very, very high. Something is going to be thrown at you, that is a wrench in your plan. So with that, take it in stride, adapt, do what you have to do to adjust your setting, your habit, your environment, the people around you to become more well-versed and more locked in and able to survive. Because right now, the Nigerians are fighting their butts off. They're trying so hard to get through this time from anyone as low as your common worker who's struggling to pay bills because of the system and how hard it is to pay bills, to someone at the very top who's literally staging coups and trying to change the government and the country forever. So anyone in between, anyone up, down, adapt, try to adapt to survive because that is what Niger is doing and that is what I think you should do. And with that, that is going to be all for me. I very much hope you guys enjoyed. This history is not an easy one to swallow. A lot of stuff is going on here that's very upsetting. It's hard for the people here. It's just, it's a brutal time. But they're pushing on. There seems to be change coming, and hopefully it's one that sticks, and it's one that is actually beneficial to this very long-term struggling nation. But, you know, the last 10 years have been better. We've seen 
democratic transitions, strong governments. We'll see what happens. Of course, there's a coup right now, and that there's a military junta in power, but maybe it'll be good for the nation. Like, it's seemingly good for Burkina Faso. This region is very unstable, but, you know, maybe it's for a good cause. That's my hope, and that should be your hope, too. But I'm very glad you guys listened. I hope you guys enjoyed. Hope you got something, and that'll be all. So, one more time, my name is Reese Karolinski. This is Young History, and that was Niger. You have a good one.